The reading of God's Word is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. We read the whole chapter. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, he said to me, Write, these, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowels filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as, as its breadth, and, the, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of, the, of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedon, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pairs. Each individual gate was of one pair, 
and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. We are in the book of Revelation, the end of it, and uh, <coughs> earlier in this uh, vision that John has, it's uh, about the, the last uh, plague, the end of the tribulation, and still the, uh, a, one of the angels is talking to, to John and showing him visions, uh, who had the, one of the seven bowls, and uh, we saw the harlot, the great Babylon, in chapter 17 to 19. Then Jesus the King returned in chapter 19 and established the millennial kingdom. Then also we see, we saw there in chapter 20, the last battle, the last uh, rebellion of people against God, the battle of Armageddon. And we also saw the last judgment from the throne of God. And uh, now we see the king and his bride enter, entering in the new heavens and new earth. So today we see uh, the bride, the new Jerusalem. And then in chapter 22, the last chapter of the book, we will see the conclusion of the book. We will see promises, we will see uh, invitations from the, the Spirit and from God and from the Church. And also we see the city center in the first part of chapter 22. <laughs> Satan, the false prophet, and uh, all those who worship them, at this moment are gone. They are cast in the lake of fire where they are tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, this passage is the fulfillment of uh, God's promises that he made in the Old Testament to his people. These uh, verses that we read are so full with uh, promises coming alive and being fulfilled and also symbolism and imaginary in, from the Old Testament. Uh, this is the end of the Apocalypse, also the end of the Bible. And if we see, if we look carefully, like uh, chapter 21 and ch chapter 22 are the last two chapters of the Bible. 
We have to know that the chapters and verses were added later. They were not written like that, but they were added during the 1500s by the reformers. But it's very interesting that the first two chapters in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and the last two chapters in the book of Revelation, there is something missing there. And it's very good that it's not there. Because we cannot find Satan neither in the first two chapters and neither in the last two chapters. Because God is making all things new and he's restoring the early, the initial uh, state that he intended for us people to live it uh, in his presence, in his temple, on his holy mount, in the Garden of Eden or Paradise. So. We read in uh, Revelation 21 that God is making all things new. He already started to make things new. He already started this uh, new creation when Jesus Christ came on the earth and he died on the cross, made a sacrifice, and all who believe in him are made new. We are new creation in Jesus Christ. We read this in the second letter to Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. Let me read the verse, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Nothing greater can happen to a man than to be born again, to be a new creation, to be taken out from the world and to be transferred to God's kingdom. And this is what's happened to everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. Also, the gospel makes all things new. There's nothing more powerful than the gospel. And Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel because this is the power of God, which changes people. And we saw this change in people, making people new, alive, and changing lives, and also changing societies. Because the gospel, Christianity, the Bible, is the book that is able to change societies. There were great awakenings, and during the great awakening, societies are changed, not just individual lives, but whole societies, whole cities, and maybe uh, whole nations, as we, we saw during the Reformation. That was a great awakening. And then later, the evangelical awakening in England that saved England from the destruction that uh, went during the, the rebellion and the revolution in France, for example. We saw the great awakening in, in America and how it changed societies. And there is a book that I read, uh, it's called the, the Book That Made Your World written by Vishal Mangalwadi, an Indian man, who is arguing that uh, the Bible has changed Europe and made Europe what it is. And also, Europe 
through the missionaries and through the schools um, is changing the whole world. Je Jesus and God is using the Bible to revive the whole world. But here we see God is making something even greater. He's not just changing individual lives, he's making the whole new, whole world, whole creation new. Everything in the universe, the whole new universe. The first thing we see here in chapter 21 is that the old is gone. The old is gone. The first four verses here we see that uh, new heaven and new earth uh, is created. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then in the verse 4, it says that the former things have passed away. And also, I make all things new in verse 5. The old is gone, and God is creating something new. In the epistle of Peter, the second epistle, where he writes about the end of the world, the chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works are in, are in it will be burned up. So everything will be burned up. This old earth that we live in today will be gone, completely gone. But it's just not just restoring it, he's creating something new. Completely new. Creation also is waiting for this. We read in the Gospel, the letter to the Romans, where Paul writes in chapter 8, that this earth, uh, the created order, the created world, are expecting to see the sons of God, Christians, because it's uh, waiting for the appearance of sons of God, because this is the first thing of the, from the new creation of God. And the, the earth is groaning through this pain, the sin that entered into this world and is destroying everything around it and in it. And this earth knows that it was not created for such a purpose and is waiting to be renewed. We read here, there was no more sea. Why is it important to mention that there was no more sea? Because I think we all like uh, seas around Ireland and oceans and uh, fishes and all those animals that we, we can find in rivers and uh, waters. No more sea. We don't have to forget that the book of Revelation is a symbolic uh, book and the language used is symbolic and uh, the, the sea was uh, seen by the old people. The, for example, the Hebrews, the, the Jews and the ancient people saw the sea as the great unknown because everybody could walk on the ground. 
but not everybody could sail on the water and uh, they didn't have the technology to, to conquer the oceans. And also from, uh, it was thought that the great evil is coming from the seas because they, they thought the end of the world is the, the land that is known and then the great unknown surrounded by water is nothing else there, only evil is coming from there. We see earlier in the uh, chapter 13 in the book of Revelation and also in Daniel chapter 7 that the great beast is coming out from the sea. Then in uh, the book of Job we see Leviathan Leviathan, the great beast of the sea, that symbolizes Satan, also lives in great waters. In one of the commentaries I uh, consulted, uh, Gregory Bill uh, says uh, that the, the sea is the origin of the cosmic evil. Also symbolizes the unbelievers the unbelieving rebellious nations who persecute God's people also can be the place of the dead, as we see in chapter 20, uh, verse 13. It's also the primary location of the world's idolatrous trade activity that we saw in chapter 18. Babylon was trading through the seas, and also it represents the old creation. And we read here, there is no more sea. And this is a reference uh, that Christ conquered the evil, the final triumph of the Lamb over the chaos that uh, is pictured in the Bible and in the ancient literature as uh, the sea monster or a dragon or sometimes Leviathan or Rahab or the serpent, the dragon. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. We see the descent of the new Jerusalem, the city of God, pure and spotless, without any blemish, prepared like a bride for her husband. The New Jerusalem, it's pictured here also as a person and also as a city. As a city, as a place, and later in uh, chapter 22, it looks like a garden because it's full of, it's like a park full of trees and rivers and waters and looks great, then also it looks like a temple. Because John says, I saw no temple. Because everything is temple. The Lord, the Lamb and God is the temple. And also, this new Jerusalem is like a people, God's people, uh, the Lamb's bride. So she is the new world that was created that uh, John saw in verse 1. And 
the New Jerusalem is a city because somebody lives there, somebody dwells there. We read that God is in the midst of it. God is living there. And also the people of God are there. And it's also a, a bride because it shows that God is in covenant with uh, God's people. We read in the Gospel of uh, John, the introductory verses, chapter 1, verse 14, that uh, we read about Jesus Christ, that he was made, the Word was made flesh and came and dwelt among us. And that Word there is, is the word tabernacle. The, the Word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ came among his people, and he lived among his people. He lived with his people. And this is a symbol that what will be in the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, where we will be with him forever. Also is a promise made for Israel, made for Zion in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 2. In the new creation, the holy city, uh, when God enters into a new marriage covenant with his bride, this uh, finally will be realized by this, when God will be with his people. This was what he intended from the beginning. This is what he intended when he placed the man in the Garden of Eden. This is what he intended when he called Abraham and uh, separated Israel to be his people and uh, put the, the tent of the meeting in the midst of the people. This is what he intended to live with them, to be with them. And this is what he intended later on when Solomon built the temple and later on when he created the church, God is intending to live with his people. So God is going to dwell with his people. So this is a promise that applies a promise made in the Old Testament to the people of Israel and is uh, coming alive in the New Testament. The church, all believers from all nations, from Gentiles and from Israel are coming together. And we read here in verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is a verse uh, preached much and many times at funerals, because it gives such comfort and so much peace. So more uh, consolation, so much uh, assurance. It's a promise that in heaven all these things that are here because of sin, because of the curse, they will be gone. 
No more tears, no more death, no more grief, no more crying, no more praying. This is something that uh, was promised earlier in chapter 7 in the book of Revelation, verse 17. We read, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is there any sorrow this morning in your heart? Is there any pain in your heart? There is great comfort in these verses, because everything, pain, everything, sorrow, everything that's bad will be gone. There will be comfort for all sorrow. There will be healing for every disaster and consolation for any disappointment that you have in your heart. We can see that God is greater than any of our problems, than any of our pain. God is greater and better. Then from the verse of verse 5 we see that God is making all things new. There are three statements in the following verses, verse 5 to 8. God says, we see in verse 5 what God is doing. Behold, I make all things new. Then we see a command in verse 5, write, for these words are true and faithful. These words are true and faithful. This, is, this means that God keeps his word. All the promises made in the Old Testament are come true in the New Testament and in the new heaven and new earth. Everything that he promise in the Old Testament is being fulfilled here. And then from verse 6, he says, we see not just what God is doing, but we see who God is and uh, what he promises. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. These are the first and last uh, letters in the Greek alphabet. It means the first and the last, alpha and omega. It says, it is done. And then he gives a promise. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. This is a promise first seen in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, where we see an invitation that everybody who is thirsty come to the living waters and drink freely, take freely from God. And this morning we are invited as well to come and drink from this water, this living water, Christ, who is inviting us and of whom we read in the Gospel of John on the last day of the great feast, Jesus cried with a loud voice, anyone who is thirsty, Come to the living waters and drink. Let us drink this morning from this water. And any time we can drink from this water. Because this water is flowing from the throne of God. It's the living water that gives life and that can satisfy our thirst. I don't know what kind of thirst or desires we have this morning. But there's nothing in this world that can satisfy it. It's there is only one who can satisfy any of our needs and desires 
and let us thirst after Jesus, after God. We, we read in the Psalm 46 that God is in the midst of it. There is a city of God in Psalm 46, and we see that there is a river of life flowing through that city. There is nothing dryness. It's always uh, water there to satisfy and to So drink deeply from this spring of living water. It says here in verse 7 that he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Inherit all things. We know that in Christ uh, God gave us all things. There's nothing that we miss. We are heirs together with Christ. Together with him, we inherit all things. Uh, it says in the letter to Galatians, chapter 3, The last verses in chapter 3, verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. The promise was made to Abraham that uh, his descendant will fill the earth. And we are heirs of this promise. But it says here, he who overcomes will inherit it. How can we overcome? Only if we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Because John, in his uh, first epistle, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So our faith is the one that helps us to overcome this world. We are either overcome by this world and sin, or either we overcome it. And we read earlier in the book of Revelation that who are these in the white robes? And it says there, they are those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So through faith, through the blood of the Lamb, we are sanctified, we are washed, and we are justified in Christ, and we are delivered from this world. 
not going to read every verse and uh, every detail because already I think <laughs> past the time. But the third thing that we see here from the verse 9 is the new Jerusalem. In his glory and in its majesty. If we are careful and compare this chapter to the other chapter where we read about another woman, another city, Babylon, and that is a harlot, and Jerusalem, that is the bride, if we compare, there are many similarities and many contradictions between the two. Here we see that uh, the angel, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plates came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Back in chapter 17, the same angel or one of the angels says, I will show you the harlot, the great Babylon. And we read here, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Back there we read that we, he carried me away to a desert and showed me the city, the great harlot. Because any promise, how promising it should be, the great Babylon, with her riches, and everything in it is still in the desert place. But here, the new Jerusalem is on a mountain, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. God promised to make the mountain of the house of the Lord the highest of the mountains back in Isaiah chapter 2. And Ezekiel, when he is shown the promise of the new temple that God is going to, to bring, he's taken to a high mountain and it was shown to him the temple of God. And here John is taken to a high mountain and is shown to him a great city. Also in Ezekiel, uh, so the new Jerusalem is the new temple that God is showing to Ezekiel. Jesus says that we are a city built on a hill and our light cannot be hidden. And we see this city on a big mountain, its light shines, it's full of life and glory, shines like crystal, and this city is very similar uh, to the camp of Israel in the wilderness, where the tent was in the middle, and the twelve tribes were around the tent, on each side, each four corners of the, of the tent. 
And we read that there are angels at each of the gates. And this reminds us that uh, of, of the angelic or the cherubim who was placed at the entrance to the Garden of Eden after the first uh, couple were driven out from, from there to guard the way to the tree of life in Genesis chapter 3. And this indicates that those who entered this city actually entered the fulfillment of the Garden of Eden. Because this city is the fulfillment of the tabernacle, the temple, of the church, the promised land. We read that it's, uh, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and, men, and names were written on them, the name of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. There are 12 gates, three on each side. It symbolizes great access into the city. In the Jewish tradition, uh, we can find in the first book of Enoch that uh, heaven had great, uh, 12 gates. And the 12 gates represent the tribes of Israel. Also, there are 12 stones that we read uh, about. Um, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The twelve gates were twelve pairs. Each individual gate was one pair. The high priest had a breastplate when he entered the temple on the Day of Atonement and on the breastplate there were 12 stones symbolizing each tribe. But here the 12 stones or the 12 pairs symbolize the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. We read in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 2 that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. We know that Jesus Christ is the first and uttermost uh, foundation of the church, but he also made the apostles its foundation. The shape of the city, we read, it's a cube. Its uh, width and height, all its measures are equal. And it's not a small city. It's not a small cube. It's a huge, very big, uh, as I calculated, it's almost two and a half thousand kilometers long and wide and height. So the Mount Everest is a tiny, small uh, mountain compared to it. But on the top of the Mount Everest, I think it's not easy to breathe. <laughs> but 
I think that these numbers are symbolic and the new Jerusalem won't fall from heaven to the earth because that would destroy the earth. But it symbolizes that uh, something great that we are talking about. And also the shape of this new uh, temple or the new heaven and earth, this new city, is the same shape as the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle later in the temple. The Holy of Holies where was God dwelling place. There was the Ark of the Covenant and the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat of God and God was there. And on the Day of the Atonement, the High Priest brought the blood of the Lamb and put it on the seat. And Jesus Christ entered with his own blood to the Holy of Holies and now we see it coming and coming alive and we will be there with him. We have access to this place and there will be a day when nothing will uh, be in between us. According to the measure of a man that is of an angel, reading verse 17. This is in contrast with the number of uh, a man that we read. Uh, this is a number. In chapter 13, verse 18, we read about the number of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. His number is 666. But the beast kingdom reduces humanity to beastly level. But in the New Jerusalem, it raises us, it elevates us into to angelic levels. We see the beauty of this city. It described with uh, all kinds of stones and uh, gold and everything radiant, large pears, probably the largest that anyone has ever seen. We see people uh, going after treasure and uh, treasuring these precious stones and precious metals and uh, that's called uh, riches and the greatest treasure in the new heaven and the new earth are not these stones not these pears not this gold but the greatest treasure is the lord is the lamb. God is the greatest treasure. We see here they put these huge and very precious stones and pears as gates and foundations to the walls and then they uh, laid the foundation of the street and paved the street with gold and precious stones and then they leave open all the doors and nobody is protecting it. Because that's not the treasure. The treasure is the Lord. And also we read
Revelation 21, uh, verse 22, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There is a question, and there are some people who are expecting a third temple to be built in Jerusalem. And they are preparing the, the, the red cows, red ears for it and everything. Um, I don't know if it will be built or not, or, but the prophecy that is made in the Old Testament referring to the third temple in the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah are being fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem being the new temple. Because there is no temple in the book of Revelation. And if the third temple it will be built before the coming of uh, the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, we see Jesus came back again, again in the chapter, 20th chapter, but the temple is not mentioned since then. So what will happen with the third temple if it will be built? We don't know. But one thing we know that the Lord God Almighty is its temple and the, the Lamb is its temple. Because God and the Lamb will fill the entire new creation with glorious presence. One more thing I want to mention here uh, regarding the holy city, the new Jerusalem. We read earlier in verses 9 and 10 that this new city, that is a city, that is a temple, that is a bride. So it is the church if it's the bride. And we see the beauty of this city. And this city is coming down from heaven. So in a way, each Christian, we are from heaven. Our place is not on earth. Our dwelling place is there with God in heaven. We have been uh, made to dwell together with Christ in the heavenly places. Nicodemus came to Jesus one night and Jesus said to him, you have, you must be born again. And he doesn't understand what does it mean, born again. And Jesus says, you have to be born from the Spirit. And earlier in chapter 1, Jesus says, who are not born of flesh and blood, but born from above. We are born from above. And we need to realize that the church is born from above. It's coming from God. It's not a creation of man. It's not us people who are building the church. It's Jesus who said, I will build my church. And we have to realize this, uh, that God is at work in people's life, in man's and women's lives, teenagers' and children's lives. God is at work. He is the one who is building the faith in their hearts and their lives. Also, we see the beauty of this city, of the bride, of the church, 
And maybe if you look around in our culture or in our church, we don't always see the beauty of the church as God sees it. But God sees maybe a different church than we see. God sees even us differently many times than we see ourselves. Because he sees us in Christ Jesus, who cleansed us through his blood, who made us new in Christ. We read in the letter to the Corinthians something that eyes have not seen and uh, nor ear had heard and mind haven't perceived. That is what God has prepared to those who believe in him. And the lastly we see there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We read six times about the Book of Life in the Book of Revelation. And this means that God knows about everything about us. And everything is mentioned as written in the Book of Life. Two more verses I want to read and finish. One from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 2. Verse 14, it says, I read verse 13 as well, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And also, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.